artist, I always want to feel naked in the sense of putting my total self out there, just this is who I am. And that can feel very risky. You know, you're just really exposing what it is that you want to say. You're saying it in a very humane way, polishing every sound, sculpting every sound, but being very personal. And I love music that takes that risk. When we hear Mahler, we know it's Mahler, and we can feel the inside of his stomach or soul. We can feel his joy or his pain. That's composer Augusta Reed Thomas telling us a little bit about her philosophy as a composer. I had asked her about a quote that I had read from her in which she said her favorite moment in any piece of music was the moment of maximum risk and striving. And there she is telling us what that means to her personally. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. I have the great good fortune today to have as my guest, Augusta Reed Thomas. Augusta, thanks so much for coming down. Seth, thank you so much for having me. I've admired your show for so long. Well, the admiration is mutual. Believe me, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show today. Let me ask you about your process as a composer a little bit. Do you have a specific listener in mind when you're composing? My music definitely craves a listener. I wrote it for someone to hear. It wasn't some kind of mental puzzle that I'm doing in my head that happens to come out as sound. Rather, it's sound that's reaching out for someone to hear it and engage with it. Because I think that music is deeply human. And people can feel each other's humanity through hearing what someone else made. And in a way, we we realize that poets are telling us things and architects are telling us things and painters are telling, but, but so are composers. What is the vocabulary? What is the affect of the music? Is it dazzling and twinkling, or is it dark and somber, etc.? That's such a fascinating topic, something I think we could talk about quite a bit. But let's get to some music. Let's hear your piece, Words of the Sea. We're going to hear the third movement. What can you tell our listeners about this piece? Words of the Sea was composed already 20 years ago. I'm getting very old. And it's a piece that's in four movements. It was commissioned by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and was presented by the orchestra with Pierre Boulez conducting in 1996. It's a four-movement work, and each movement has a contrasting affect. And I based the piece very loosely on the imagery from the beautiful poem by Wallace Stevens called The Idea of Order at Key West. And... The third movement is a kind of mad scherzo. It's all fast, and it's a movement where once the train pulls out of the station, it it never stops. It just keeps going. It's a perpetual motion. And there are certain layers to the piece and certain kind of rhythmic elements that continue. So, for instance, you have like, like this kind of thing that's going all the way through. And the way that certain instruments are hitting on certain notes, like chuck it, the So some people are just hitting one note and other people are like running through the whole line. And it goes on like that throughout the whole movement and different layers of the music develop in different ways. But essentially in the four movement form, it's 
the mad scherzo in the Mahler sense. That's fantastic. You have a great way of describing music. Absolutely makes me want to listen to it. So let's listen to it. This is the Mad Scherzo Movement from Words of the Sea. We're going to hear the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and Pierre Boulez is conducting in a live performance. the third movement, the Mad Scherzo, of a four-movement work called Words of the Sea for Orchestra, inspired by Wallace Stevens. We heard Pierre Boulez leading the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and that was a performance that was recorded live. Music of Augusta Reed Thomas, who is my guest today on Relevant Tones. Gusty, I find the genesis of the piece that we're about to hear so fascinating. Can you tell us about it? Don Casey, who runs the DePaul University School of Music, had the idea that we in this world need a piece to open for the Beethoven Ninth Symphony. Because the Beethoven Ninth, as you know, with a full chorus and the orchestra, you can't really break it with an intermission. It's too long. And yet it's not long enough to be a full concert. And how exactly does one do that? So he had the idea, why don't I write a piece for the identical instrumentation? So nobody on stage has to move at all. And that was 
my piece, Oriel. And it's an eight-minute work that's very dynamic and colorful and energized. And it has certain rhymes with the Beethoven Ninth Symphony. For instance, the key centers for the Beethoven happen to be D and A. And so I have puns in the sense that I start with D and A and move to E. And there's also a huge drumming episode in Ariel, which to me picks up on the energy of the timpani part in the Beethoven 9, which is so dramatic in, in Beethoven 9 when the timpani start coming in. So there are no quotes of Beethoven or anything of the like. It's simply picking up on the spirit and creating my own complete new imagination of a sonic field. And in some ways, the piece starts with a big crescendo and moves into quite an intense rhythmic and animated, colorful, flourishing outburst of fanfares. Wow, I think that says it all. Let's have a listen. We're going to hear an excerpt of Oriel for Orchestra by Augusta Reed Thomas. And we're going to hear the group who commissioned it, the DePaul University Symphony, conducted by Cliff Colnut. Thank you. 
Music for Orchestra by Augusta Reed Thomas. Oriel. Performed by the DePaul University Symphony, for whom it was composed and conducted by Cliff Colnutt. Augusta Reed Thomas is my guest today on the program, having such a great time featuring her music. Next up is another piece that was written for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and actually performed on one of the Music Now concerts. Music Now was created by Augusta Reed Thomas when she was in residence at the CSO. Augusta, tell me a little bit about your residency with the Chicago Symphony. What was it like? Being the Mead composer in residence for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra was without doubt one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. I completely loved every day working with the orchestra. I was with them for nine full years, but I worked with them on my piece Words of the Sea the year before. So I really had a 10-year relationship with the orchestra. I have so much respect for all of the players, for the staff, administration. They are incredible virtuosi And I admire so much the athleticism of how they play together. They really sculpt every sound as a group and bring out the core or the center or the stomach or the life force of the music they're playing, whether they're playing Mahler, whether they're playing Mozart or Strauss, Verdi, whatever it might be. There's a real sense of flexibility of color and meaning in the sound I love the orchestra. I live right next door to it. I go to concerts all the time. And I feel so lucky that we have them in our city. Just amazing. It was completely transformative. I also spent a huge amount of my time creating the Music Now series and working toward bringing it to happening and fundraising for it and partnering with some of the most incredibly generous donors curating it, programming it, emceeing it. It was a huge part of what I did during my many years with the symphony. And that's a series that is still continuing today, which is really a great thing. Tell me, uh, in your mind, what is the ideal model of a residency for a composer? Obviously, you're going to write for the orchestra, but there's so much more to it. How, How would you engage with the community as a composer in residence? When I was composer in residence for the Chicago Symphony, I did about 45 pre-concert lectures a year. That was a huge amount of preparation. And so I was constantly talking to the audience that was at those lectures, which ranged from 200 to 500 people. Very often I would speak from the stage just before a new piece was played, whether I was talking about Burt Whistle or John Adams, a piece of my own, many other composers and trying to really share my enthusiasm and deep love for the music of others. I've spent a huge amount of my time trying to be a good citizen in our field, um, starting concert series or running festivals, serving on lots of boards and things of that kind. So I think to be in a residency with the Chicago Symphony It's a joy to be very generous and try to reach out to the community. I went to all kinds of schools on the south side and the west side, and I was meeting with all the different constituent groups, the board of trustees, the women's board, and and things of this kind every year. Let's listen to some music. We're going to hear In My Sky at Twilight, this piece that was written for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra while you were in residence there. It's such a provocative title. What can you tell me about the piece? I love poetry, and I read poems a lot, partly because I love to write vocal music, and I've set a lot of different poets. And I've read probably a thousand poems for every one poem I decided to set. And over all these years, I've become very enthralled with the work of so many different poets. 
In In My Sky at Twilight, the texts are actually comprised of fragments of poems from many different poets from all through history. So we have things going all the way back and coming forward to modern texts. And the first half of the piece deals with intense love and passion and undying loyalty and love. And then there's an interlude. And with the second half, you have the sense that one of the lovers has departed. And the whole second half of the piece is, I will love you forever. Through all of eternity, I will never forget you. That kind of envelope for the piece. In some ways, it's a little bit like a monodrama. I could imagine it being staged with just one soprano memorizing the piece and some beautiful dancers behind illustrating the different stages of love and grief. What's here at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra Music Now Ensemble, led by Pierre Boulez, and we're going to hear the soprano Christine Brandis featured In My Sky at Twilight by Augusta Reed Thomas.
It's a piece for soprano and ensemble by Augusta Reed Thomas. We heard In My Sky at Twilight. Christine Brandes singing with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra Music Now Ensemble, led by the great Pierre Boulez. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. My guest today is Augusta Reed Thomas, a composer who has won more awards than I can easily count and who is one of the most performed living composers today. To subscribe to our podcast and for streaming versions of this and all previous episodes, you can visit relevanttones.com. My guest today on the program is Augusta Reed Thomas. What a pleasure it is to have her here. I've admired her music for a very long time, but also as a resident of Chicago, where she also lives, it's been great to see how generous she is with composers and performers, people in the early stages of their career. So it's such a pleasure to have Augusta Reed Thomas today on the show. Augusta, the next piece that we're going to hear is called Terpsichore's Dream. It's inspired by the Greek muse of dance. How specifically does dance relate to the music that we're going to hear? Terpsichore's Dream is a work for chamber orchestra that I say is a ballet explicitly. I would like it to be danced. And Terpsichore was, in Greek mythology, the goddess of dance and delight. And it's a very, very beautiful image. And all through history, there have been statues and paintings of Terpsichore. So I imagine if this was made into a ballet, that the stage could be very, very beautiful with her images. And it could be a gorgeous set of lights and costumes. And essentially, the work is 18 minutes. And it goes through different moods. But essentially, a lot of the piece is full of rhythmically animated music. And tell us, we're going to hear a specific excerpt. It starts about five minutes in. What's happening musically at this point? 
we drop into Terpsichore's dream and you hear very high bell sounds that are moving in a kind of lilting rhythmic way, almost like stars in the sky that are flickering, setting a stage. And that material is constantly transformed all the way to the end. At some times, it even becomes very jazzy, like it becomes very low register. So at the beginning, it might be like, and then later it might be, this kind of thing, like really turns into something that becomes much more jazzy and intense and punchy. And you can imagine a lot of dancers moving majestically and intensely around a stage. And so one of the things that was interesting to me about Terpsichore's Dream is to take a certain amount of material and then look at it from every different perspective. And with each new vantage point, one can see different potentials for that material. So in a way, it's like a spiral unfolding in front of you. And at the very, very end, the last minute is a very high, incredibly quiet violin line that just disappears into the ether. Let's drop in on this piece, Terpsichore's Dream. Again, we're going to start about five minutes in to this ballet for chamber orchestra. Here's Cliff Colnut conducting music of Augusta Reed Thomas, Terpsichore's Dream.
Music by Augusta Reed Thomas. That's Terpsichore's Dream for Chamber Orchestra, a piece conceived as a ballet piece. And I think we can really hear that. We heard Cliff Colnut conducting music of Augusta Reed Thomas, Terpsichore's Dream. Augusta Reed Thomas is my guest on the show today. Gusty, let's move from orchestra music. We've now heard you as a composer of very large-scale ensembles several times. Let's move to a more intimate instrument now, the solo piano. Tell me about this piece, Traces. When I was a very young child, I used to lie underneath the piano at our house. I'm the 10th of 10 children, and I used to listen to all the sound resonate around me, like someone would strike one note, and then I would hear the resonance bloom, and I was listening to all the notes. And then I started to play piano, and I took piano lessons for about 10 years before I started to take trumpet lessons, which I then played trumpet all the way through college. And it was my goal, actually, to be a trumpet performance major and to play in the Chicago Symphony. That was my like life goal. But all through that, I started to morph into a composer. But the idea of writing for piano comes right back to that young child lying underneath the piano, listening to the sounds, and then taking lessons my whole many, many years. As such, I love writing for solo piano. And Traces is an interesting work. Lang Lang asked me to write a piece. And the result was that I decided to take two traditions that I love, jazz, and classical music. And just imagine what would happen if I traced two different perfumes from two different traditions. So what would happen if I took Scarlatti's ornamentation, let's say from a harpsichord, you know, know, this kind of sound that you might have on a harpsichord, and blended it with Art Tatum, like these huge left hand and these big chords that come in when you're unexpected. And what would happen if I just merged those? So they're very fun pieces to have made. There are five traces. The second one is the Scarlatti Art Tatum. And there are no quotes of Scarlatti or Art Tatum. It's a complete fantasy. How are you merging elements of stride piano and, uh, you know, the rhythmic use of the Baroque harpsichord with with the ornamentation? It sounds like a lot to, to handle. Writing traces was incredibly hard. I spent like 10 months on five short piano works. It was really, really difficult. I wrote them at the piano. So I was sitting at my piano, putting my fingers on the notes and then lifting up my pencil and like writing the notes down and then putting the pencil down and playing them at slow motion because they're very fast and virtuosic. It was very physical on my body and on my hands. And to think, you know, how can you mix Scarlatti with Artatum? That's just difficult. They're two completely different worlds. On the other hand, if you take the sort of uh, harmonic implications of Art Tatum, where he would have big chords and big jazzy chords that would have like the reach of a tenth from his pinky all the way to his thumb, and quick, um, as you said, stride piano, like leaping down to the pinky two octaves lower, and mix that in with something very pure that's almost like on a single line. And that's what I did. I, I also like very much the idea of stops and starts, that you all suddenly have something rests, and then it goes forward, and then it stops, and then it goes, and then, you know, like that there's this unpredictability as to what will quite come next. Well, as usual, after hearing you describe a piece, I can't wait to have a listen. So here is Traces for Solo Piano. We're going to hear number two, performed by Makiko Hirata. Thank you. 
That's Makiko Hirata performing the second movement of Traces for solo piano, music that ingeniously combines the styles of Art Tatum with Domenico Scarlatti, something that I think no one else has ever really probably tried to do before. That's music by Augusta Reed Thomas, who is my guest today on the program. Let's move from that to a very different kind of piece inspired by two E.E. Cummings songs. Augusta, tell me about this piece that we're about to hear. When I was asked to write a piece by the San Francisco Girls Choir for their choir of girls who are about age 12, I started to think, what text should I use? And I've always loved Cummings, but I wanted to pick texts that would be suitable and fun for young girls. And I picked two pieces by Cummings. One is about sky candy, and the other one I called Kiss Me. And one is very fast, and the second one is very slow. The the slow one is lyrical, and what's so amazing is how these young girls sing with such clear intonation, and they build up to very complicated jazzy chords with eight or nine notes, but it sounds completely tonal all the way through. But the poise and expertise and intonation of the of the young artists, it still gives me goose pimples to think how young they are. And then also the color. It's such, there's no color like a treble choir and when it divides out into these harmonies. I've absolutely loved it. And sometimes people say, Gusty, you know, why are you writing for girls? You know, you're writing all these orchestral things. Why would you do that? And I would counter that by saying, writing for this incredible instrument, these, let's say 40 young girls' voices, is so heartening and so moving and so inspiring. It helps me write my next, whether it's a cello concerto or an orchestra piece. Yeah, I, I, as a specific instrument, of course, a girls' choir at that age. But, you know, on the, on the flip side, I think it's also just really good for anyone at that age to be exposed to contemporary music, to be actively involved in it. It's so true. I wrote a high school band piece a long time ago, and now when I go to orchestras, they always say, oh, I played your high school band piece. I, I get that comment almost every week, and I sort of blush. I think, oh, no. But in a way, people get to know an artist through those pieces that were written for young artists. And it's very beautiful when people who are running youth programs commission. We're going to hear Kiss Me, one of the songs from two E.E. Cummings songs by Augusta Reed Thomas. Let's hear the Elm City Girls Choir performing.
That really is such a beautiful sound. The girls' choir, we're hearing there the Elm City Girls' Choir, a cappella, singing music by Augusta Reed Thomas. Absolutely beautiful music. We heard Kiss Me from two E.E. Cummings songs. Augusta Reed Thomas is my guest today on the program. Gusty, I want to make sure we talk about this extraordinary festival that you're spearheading for 2016, Ear Taxi. What is Ear Taxi? I so believe in the new music scene in Chicago. It's booming. It's vibrant. There are ensembles here that are so good, composers that are fantastic. And it occurred to me, what would happen if I just curated an entire festival to show what is happening in Chicago? Ear Taxi Festival is happening. And it's October 6, 7, 8, and 9 of 2016. And it will be at the Harris Theater and at the Cultural Center. And we have on this festival, 33 world premieres, two USA premieres, two Chicago premieres, 69 local composers, 300 local musicians, all of this in four days. So it's been a huge project to put together, but I think all of us together can tell the story of our city. We have these fantastic groups, Fulcrum Point, Third Coast Percussion, Ice Ensemble, Access Contemporary Music, Prism Quartet, and, and you know, on and on and on and on. There are so many groups that are known nationally, and yet we never have the chance to put it all together on one stage. I'm really honored to be able to work on this, and I, I hope that our city will come celebrate all the music that's being made in our city by artists playing in our city. It's a unique thing. I don't know any other city that's done such a huge festival or that has such a booming new music scene. That's great. Well, I'm very much looking forward to that. Ear Taxi. Look for it in October 2016. You can find out more information at eartaxifestival.com. Gussie, thank you so much for being a guest today on Relevant Tones. Seth, thank you. I so appreciate your show and being here. Thank you. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McCorders, with special thanks to Rory Hartong-Redden. You can find us as a podcast on iTunes, and for more information about the program and the artists we've featured, and for streaming versions of all previous episodes, you can visit us at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible in part by the generous support of GCM Grubner, the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, the Amphion Foundation, and the listener supporters of the WFMT Fine Arts Circle. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, Art Works. I'm Seth Bosted, and this is the WFMT Radio Network.